You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. All right, church family, if you are a guest with us, I too want to welcome you. I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm grateful that you are here with us, those of you that are joining us online. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time or maybe first time in a while, we are continuing in our study of the book of 1 Timothy. We've entitled this series, Focused, How the Gospel Changes Our Lives. And we've been looking over these last several weeks at that very truth of, of how the gospel is shaping and changing our lives. And we're doing this from the standpoint of Paul's letter to Timothy, this first letter to him in what we know as 1 Timothy. Now, this morning, you can see it there on the screen. In a moment, it'll say, whose role is it anyway? This is the title for today's message. We're going to specifically be looking at chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And before we get into that, I want to ask you, have you ever used something that was created for one certain thing? It had a certain role, and yet you used it for something that it wasn't necessarily designed for, and it didn't really go well. Just the last couple of weeks, uh, since the beginning of the new year, Adeline and Noah got this desire. Those are our children, if you don't know. They had this desire to have their, hey baby, had their rooms uh, changed around uh, from the upstairs where they were at. Adeline really wanted to go to the frog over our garage and let that be her room. And Noah really wanted her room so he could have all the space. Like he did, they just wanted to do this. So we talked about it. And we're like, all right, fine, let's do it. So we moved the rooms at the beginning of the new year. Man, that was a chore. <laughs> but we moved them all, got them all situated. And when we got everything ready and good, Adeline wanted to put some of her posters up on the wall. And so I got these posters um, ready to go, and we needed to put them in some frames. And I was like, okay, I'm going to measure these frames and, and use the, the measurements I have to go to the store, buy the correct frame so I can get this hung so that she can enjoy her posters on the wall. Well, in order to measure, you need to have a tape measurer and I could not find ours. That tape measure, it's like it vanishes all over our house. We just needed this again the other day and we couldn't find it. So I take my iPhone as it's designed with the app. There's an app on there called Measure. And I go and I use it. And for most cases, I think it would probably work the way it's supposed to. But with Brian holding the phone with a shaky hand at the time of trying to pinpoint it exactly and measure it, I got a measurement. I got to the store. Lo and behold, it wasn't the right measurement. I'm like, come on. And so I had to go back and get a tape measure and then come back and do it all. And finally, I just took the poster with me, got it measured, and got the right thing finally. But there in that moment, the the role that was needed to utilize to measure that poster so I could get the right frame, I didn't use what it was meant to be used for. I, I used my phone with an app. The app didn't really help as best as I needed it to because I was definitely quite a few inches off. Why do I use that silly example? Well, today we're going to see some things in this account of the roles, if you will, of how we are to live our lives and roles that are within the church. See, the item that was designed there in that case by me, the, the tape measure, what it was designed for, it wasn't even used The phone was used. Yeah, there's an app for it, but it wasn't the actual designed item of what it was to be used for in its role. See, so far we've looked in the study of Paul addressing some issues within the church 
He's writing to Timothy, and he's writing about the church at Ephesus, and he's writing about, hey, I'm, I'm getting word that there's false teaching going on. We talked about that three weeks ago. We talked about how we look into the book of 1 Timothy, and we, we saw in that second part there of the reality of how Jesus Christ has come to save sinners, this purpose of why Jesus came. That's the pinpoint of the gospel. That's the reason why we glorify God. That's the reason why we've been redeemed. And then as Zach so beautifully put it last week, we look at this idea of prayer and the fact that it is this unlikely weapon. And we don't utilize prayer as best as we should. So now we get into this point where Paul is tagging off of what he said there, and then he's addressing roles within the church, how we're to worship, how we're to live, the roles of men and women in leadership. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there now, okay? You're going to go through this, we're reading through this passage, and some of the things that I may say or, or look at here in the Word, it may be a little bit of a hot-button issue with things that are going on in our culture, because the way that the culture and society is, some of these things that are biblical, they don't want to follow that. They think it's absurd. They think it's crazy. But I think you know by now that we stand on the fact that the word of God is truth and we're going to obediently follow it. So we're thinking biblically here. With that said, I want to look at our bottom line and it is this. God's design for man and woman is good and reflects his glory. God's design for man and woman is good, and it reflects his glory. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point is this, roles for living. Roles for living. We only have two points today. It's going to be a good day. John's shaking his head. Roles for living, starting in verse 8. The word of the Lord says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. If you recall from Zach's message last week, as I said, it was on prayer and this main weapon that's used in defense of the gospel. And if we aren't praying, the reality is that we've already started to lose, right? If we're not praying, there's a problem. We must be praying people. Now, here in this verse, as Paul's writing, Paul continues to say that he's already said in the section earlier, emphasizing that men should be praying in every place. He said men should be praying in every place and do so by lifting holy hands without any anger, without any quarreling. What is going on here? Well, from this, we can take that the men in Ephesus, they weren't leading well. We've already established from three weeks ago that the false teachers, if they're teaching in the church, it's an elder type role, more than likely that was what was being used, and it was not, it was, excuse me, what was being abused, it was not being done correctly, hence the reason for the false teaching that was happening within the church. So there's already an issue there where the men at Ephesus aren't leading as they were called to do. They needed to be praying in all places. That's why Paul says, in every place. We think about that, you hear that, and you're like, okay, every place. So, what does every mean? Every means every. So Paul's talking about it as in a way that in which we would say, in our terms today, we would say where we live, work, and play, as we go. Yesterday during Brotherhood, we, we were talking and we were discussing things, and it came up, somebody brought up the fact of the Great Commission. And there with that Great Commission, as we're called to go, that's this idea of as you're going. So in every place we go, we need to be doing these things. And, and Paul's addressing the men. He says the men should be praying in all places. They need to be doing so, though, with the right attitude. The right attitude. 
that is focused on the gospel. And he says there in that verse 8, without any anger to quarreling. It's pointing to this idea of unity in the body. First, Paul mentions there the uplifted hands. Now, let me ask you a question, or you may be asking yourself right now, wait a minute, so does, does, is Paul saying that every time we need to pray, we need to have our hands lifted up? No, Paul's not saying that. Paul's pointing to something very specific, though. He's pointing to this attitude of one who prays. It's this holy reverence before God as the one who is praying to the one who is worthy of the prayer, of the worship. You know, the same can be said of us when we're singing songs of worship, right? When we're singing songs, you, you may see me sometimes. I'll be sitting there worshiping and I've got my hands up. It's not to put on a show. It's just that is my way of reacting, of, of giving praise unto God. Is it requirement that you have to lift your hands to worship? No. But it's this attitude. If we come into worship in the gathering or anywhere that we are for that matter, and we're worshiping God in song and we're praising him, if we're just there and we're just kind of going through the motions of just doing the things to do them, and we're not really focused and in awe of who God is and the reason of why we even get to sing to him. Don't miss that. We get to sing to him. We get to worship him because of what he has done for us. It's all focused on this attitude, this heart of worship unto God. Realizing that we weren't even supposed to be able to do this because our sins separated us from him. We weren't even be able to be able to pray to him. But then as we talk about every time we baptize someone, but God intervened. He redeemed us. He saved us. It's this attitude and this posture of what we are to do. Secondly, let me ask this question. If we have the correct attitude and posture of prayer, for example, as he's talking about here, will we be focused on issues that we have with others? Think about that. You may have an issue with a brother and sister in the church. You may have an issue with somebody in your life. Paul would be addressing this here within the confines of the church. But if you have an issue with a brother or a sister, and that hasn't been resolved, one, you need to resolve that. But number two, if there is an issue there, and you're so fixated on that issue, your heart and your ideas, your mind, everything is not going to be focused in the right posture before God. You're not going to have the right attitude of worship unto Him. Because you're going to be distracted by this. I want to encourage you. Examine your heart. If you have that in your life, you need to repent. You need to go to said brother or sister, as Scripture tells us, and make that right. See, having the right attitude and posture of prayer, it points to the reality that you've already corrected those issues with said brother or sister so you can seek the Lord. Why does all this matter? I said a word there a few moments ago, unity. It protects unity. And if the body of Christ is unified, we can focus on the shared mission that we have. The shared mission to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves, And in doing so, we go forward and we seek to fulfill the great commission in this generation, as we say. 
Look at verse 9. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls, or costly attire. I'll read that, and oh great, here it goes. Paul's ganging up on the ladies. Why does Paul find it necessary to include how the women are to dress in the church? Why is that important for Paul? Well, during this time, as Paul is writing this letter, the women would go about imitating these elaborate hairstyles, these extravagant dresses of the Roman court. It was depicted there on the coins that they would have there in circulation. They were elaborate, they were over the top, and they were distracting. They were doing things to follow the culture, to go all about the culture and do what they were saying to do, what people were modeling to do, instead of being focused on the important things. It caused a distraction. Let's think about that in 2024. This would be like our ladies, or young ladies, dressing maybe like actors, singers, the influence they see on social media and television. Most importantly, the ones that are not dressing modestly or setting a good example for our daughters or our granddaughters. Because here's the thing, and I would dare say knowing the people in this congregation, especially the ladies, you, you model this well. But there's a culture out there, a world out there, that is modeling something completely contrary to that. And we have to be very diligent to guard against that influence. That could be an entire sermon series for weeks. But please be mindful of it. Please be protective of it. God has blessed us with the incredible, incredible gift of our daughters, our granddaughters, our wives. Protect against the influence that is not God-honoring. Modesty is the best policy, right? And modesty, not, not being modest, it opens the door for many things, temptation, all kinds of things. Paul's just being very direct here. This is how this issue can come about and it needs to be addressed. Paul would continue there in verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold pearls, or costly attire. And look at verse 10. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. See, that's the reason why Paul is so focused on the modesty and the respectable apparel and the not giving in to all the things that are being displayed before them because not only are the women beautiful, but they're even more beautiful in their holiness and pursuit of honoring God. Godliness. What happens there in that godliness? When godliness is being lived out, it's doing exactly what James talks about in his letter, he talks about this faith without works is dead. When, when there's a faith that we have to honor God and pursue him and live a life of obedience, it naturally produces good works. So godliness. 
being so fixated on honoring the Lord and what you say, what you do, even what you wear. It produces good works because it tells the world, this is who I identify as following. It bears good fruit. So here in this idea of roles for living, to summarize it, Paul is pointing to the necessity of how men and women should engage in their daily living while even gathering with the church so that there may be unity among the saints and a focus on the gospel mission it's been called to. With that said, for roles in living, let's now look at roles in the church. Number two, roles in the church. Now, these five verses that we're going to look at here, they can be looked at as controversial, especially given the narrative, as I said, of the culture. We have to remember that the entire reason why we're going through this sermon series now is so that we can be biblically focused. We can be as biblical as we possibly can be focused on the gospel, why we exist and how it changes our lives. Some maybe in the culture would say, I mean, you need to abandon these verses from Scripture because they degrade women. However, that is not the case at all. When we look at the things that are here from the creative order of how God has given his direction for life, for marriage, for the church, we can understand that these are good instructions from God delivered through Paul. Let's look at verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. My wife just laughed at me. Uh Uh-oh. We got some some stuff going. What is going on here? What's Paul talking about? He wants all the women to be quiet and submissive in the church. No, 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 no. Let's understand what Paul is saying here. First off, at that time period, the Jewish men in that culture, they didn't even want to encourage women to learn. It was a no-no. Like, no, 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 no. The women don't need to learn. And Paul's arguing against that. How do you say that, Brian? Well, he wants to urge them to do so under the leadership of the church. He says they're quietly What does he mean by quietly? Does it mean actually as we would say, quiet, like shut your mouth, don't talk? No. He's saying quietly in the case that he's speaking directly to them and he's helping them understand, do this under the teaching of the leadership. I'm gonna get to that in a moment. But think about this for a moment. You can jot this in your notes. Write down 1 Corinthians 11. You you can write that down and and you can go and look at it for further study. If Paul didn't want the women to even be involved in the church in a certain way as maybe his initial writing here would present or what people would say is the case, he would not have spoken directly to the women and how they participate in the church in 1 Corinthians 11, in other places of Scripture. Lastly, the word here for quietly is the same that Paul used back in verse 2, living without turmoil. Is how that could be defined. Paul's telling the women in church to learn and do so in a way that's peaceful, in a way that's understanding. Now let's look at that big word, submissiveness. Submissive. 
Paul is using this word here very similarly to the way in which he does in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about husbands and wives. He's, where he tells them in Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. But he's doing so not pointing to their being submissive to men alone, but again, with the focus under the leadership of pastor elders within the church. See, that's the climax of where Paul's getting to. He's getting to this role of men and women in the church pointing to what we're going to especially look at next week with the qualification for elders, pastors, the ones in the church who lead the church. Now, he's saying this here for the women, but I want to, under, I want to help us to understand something here too now. He says this, and I'm telling you that it's pointing to under the submission of the leadership of the church, the pastor elders. Guys, you don't get a freebie on this one. The women are to do that, but also the men. As God has called elders to a church body, they are called by God, they are set apart by God to be under shepherds of the chief shepherd to lead the church. Therefore, the church, men and women, submit to the authority of their leadership. If you recall with me, this will be on the screen for you. Hebrews 13, 17. The writer of Hebrews is writing, and he's, he's not just writing to ladies here. He's writing to men as well. He's writing to the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, pastoring a body of believers, it is an incredibly joyful thing that we get to do. Incredibly joyful. So those moments of joy when a child is born a moment of celebrating something that happens in your life, remembering and, and celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, even in the moments that are difficult and hard, the passing of a loved one. It's still a joy to come alongside and shepherd and pray and care. But it's also an overwhelming task. And I don't mean overwhelming in a way that you just want to tap out and say, no more. No, no, no. What I mean is it's overwhelming because there is a day where Walter and I both, we will no longer be here and we will stand before the Lord. And as the scripture says, we will give an account for your souls. That's heavy. That's, a, that's an overwhelming thought that literally goes through this mind on a continual basis. But it's because it's what God's called us to. It's what he's called the shepherds of a congregation to. It's joyful. As we continue here in our remaining set of verses, Paul continues to point out to us these distinctives in the church. Look at verse 12. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Man, that's offensive. What is Paul talking about here? What's Paul saying? 
Is Paul saying that women can't learn, they can't teach, they can't have authority in the church? Yes, no, how? What's going on here? Here he's pointing to something very specific. Please don't miss this. He's pointing to something very specific. Something that's prohibited. He's pointing to the prohibited preaching and teaching as a pastor elder. Paul's describing the exaltation of God's word that is to be done before the congregation. Teaching with authority. It's this role of authoritatively defining and expositing the apostolic deposit that was entrusted. This specifically refers to what Paul describes that we're going to look at next week in chapter 3, verse 2, that elders are to be men who are able to to teach. That's what that means. That's what's prohibited. The role of pastor elder is reserved for men only. What's it not mean? It does not mean that men and women aren't allowed to instruct one another under regular discourse within the body of Christ. Paul himself says it in the book of Colossians. He writes to the church at Colossae, and he's describing, again, addressing false teaching and things that are going on within their church. He says in 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. You may remember from several months back, as we were going through the book of Acts, you get to Acts 18, verse 25 and, or 26, and what do you see? You see that Apollos is being taught by Priscilla. It's a woman teaching a man. We know that Timothy, as he was being brought up, he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. We see these things in Scripture. It is not in this way discluding a woman from their being able to do things within the body. But he is prohibiting when it comes to the shepherding of the church, that would be for men only. See, when, even when you're in Ephesians, for example, in 4, and it gives this description of, of what is supposed to be done within the church, the elders are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This means that as we equip you... We're equipping both men and women for the work of ministry. This means that we equip you to know the word, to love the Lord, to pray, to seek to glorify God, so that you in turn can go and disciple others. So that you in turn can go and fulfill the great commission. It's done. In discipling, in teaching, in word, in deed. Let's look at 13 and 14 together. I'm going to read them together and then I'll dissect for a moment. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, Paul is using these two verses to follow up on what he's just said about the teaching of a pastor elder within a church. Why does Paul do this? Paul, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, writes these things 
And he does so pointing back to the beginning. What do you mean? Well, there in 13, he says that he gave authority first by God creating Adam. You go back to Genesis 1. You begin to start to read through the creation account. You get into 2. Before you get to 3, what happens? God creates Adam. And he gives Adam authority over all living things. Then God made Eve out of Adam's rib to be the helper to Adam. You know, you think about it as you read through the scriptures, you even get to like the firstborns in the family. The firstborns, what usually happens, they become the heirs whenever family pass on. It's this, this first, God's design of creation is to be reflected in his bride, the church, since we are members of his body. And there in verse 14, he tells us that Eve was the one that was deceived by the serpent. Now, there's something interesting to point out here. When we're in 13, he says it's what God did. God gave authority to Adam. But then we see here in verse 14 what Satan did. Satan deceived. See, Satan didn't like the things that God created as the perfect order. Because what happens before Satan comes into play? God creates Adam. God creates Eve. God gave Adam authority over all living things. God created Eve. Everything is perfect. Prior to the fall, everything is designed in the way that God wanted it to be made and done. Then the fall. Satan comes and he twists everything in the fall. Satan deceives Eve. And we have to always remember, we can't let Adam get off the hook completely. Eve's deceived, but Adam was told by God, do not eat of that fruit of the tree in the garden. We understand that Adam, being the leader, should have told his wife that she's deceived and Adam wasn't over in the garden mending things. Adam was there with her. And then yet, as God comes looking for them, Eve says, let's go, let's go hide. You see, there in 14, Satan bypasses God's created order and goes to Eve first. Then she has Adam to go along with the whole thing, attempting to hide from God. You see, Satan knew, Satan knew the beautiful Authority of God's creative order. And he went to destroy it as quickly as he could. And I would dare argue that he is still trying to do that every moment of every day now. Verse 15. We're almost done. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now this verse here, it's debated a lot amongst commentators. What is Paul actually saying here? One of the more um, popular interpretations points to the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15, where it's that first mention of the gospel there in Genesis Satan, you, you serpent, Satan in the form of the serpent, you have done this. 
But there's going to be a day coming where although you will bruise her offspring's heel, he will crush your head. I said it before. How do you kill a snake? You cut off its head. Jesus cuts it off, ends it when he dies on the cross for the sins of all mankind. What started in Genesis 3 is finished when Jesus says it is finished. And then he resurrects on the third day, conquering sin and death. So we see there that Proto-Evangelium, this idea is, okay, so Jesus would be born of the woman, which would ultimately allow him to die for the sins of the world. Thus, it would bring salvation to all who repent and believe. So that's what Paul must be saying here. Well, there's other interpretations too, that Paul is pointing to a distinct God-given role for a woman compared to a man. What is that? A man can't have a child. No matter what you may call it, no matter what you may do, a man cannot have a child. It's a distinct role given to women. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, does this mean, is Paul saying here that, wait a minute, a woman is only saved if she gives birth to a child? What about the women that haven't ever had children? No, 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 that's not what he's saying here. He's again pointing to something different. What if they're not married? No, no, he's not saying that. Denny Burke in his commentary says this, it's more likely that Paul uses childbearing as a figure of speech. This figure in which the part stands out from the whole. Childbearing is part of a larger whole, which was the women's wider role to have a child, to care, to nurture in the home. This also doesn't mean that a woman is, is not allowed to work or, or it has to only be focused on home life. If that was the case, Walter and I would both be wrong because both of our lives work. You know, I reflected on this study in this week and tell you, like all of these nuances and things and the, the way that you know you're hearing all the noise from the outside, like it's, it's a tough passage to wrestle through and to preach. But I got to thinking about this specific one and I know many of you ladies would fall into this category, but I reflect on Miranda this week and I think about the way in which she cares for our children. I am not nearly as nurturing as she is. It's a beautiful thing watching the mother of your children care for your children. It's incredible. There's that connection. I mean, she birthed these kids. It's by God's grace that sometimes I don't beat Noah up. Just kidding. She's so loving and nurturing and caring, and it's just this beautiful thing. This distinction is there. This role. Paul states that the woman should continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. What do all of those things point to? They point to the fruit of the Spirit. They point to the fruit of the Spirit, which is a part of all sanctification. As we grow in our sanctification of the Lord, 
We grow in our understanding of him. We grow and we have those items of the fruit of the Spirit that continually well up and are demonstrated in our lives. It's all pointing to men and women who are redeemed, all of this, to stay focused on the God-given creative order for each person and to pursue the glory of His name in all that they do so that when the day comes, we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So you may be sitting here today and you may be saying, okay, yeah, I I get that. What's the point of going through all of this reading of the roles? Well, as we stated from the start, we want to be as biblical as possible. And when we want to be as biblical as possible, you know we want to look at and study the entire counsel of God's word verse by verse so that we are actually living it the way we've been designed to do. Your response may be that, well, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I would say that's the first place you need to start, knowing him, growing to know him, asking questions, seeking what does it mean to follow him. You may be here as a follower of Jesus and maybe you've haven't covenanted with being a member of the body, this local expression of the church here at Holmes Avenue, maybe that is your next step. In fact, if you are a regular attender, I would encourage you to prayerfully seek to do that, to be a part of this body so you can understand our leadership and all of those things. And all of this points to the most important thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mission that God has called us to. To live biblically so that the gospel can go forth in power. Again, the bottom line, God's design for man and woman is good and it reflects his glory. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, I am so thankful for you. And Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, for your word and the truth of your word. Despite what may be understood by the world we live in that doesn't have a biblical worldview, despite what they may say as being bigots or cruel or sexist, all of those things, Lord, that they may say, Lord, your word is truth. And Lord, we want to make much of you. We want to make much of you, Lord, through our lives daily. Through the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel to a lost world that's around us. And Lord, the only way to do that is to be biblical, to have our eyes set and focused on the gospel reminding and preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. That we, at one point, were your enemies, separated from you, but God, you chose to come down. You chose to pay the price. You chose to die a gruesome death, Jesus, that we should have died. 
and you did nothing wrong. You committed no sin. You lived the way that we were supposed to live, but we haven't any moment of our lives since we come out of our mother's womb. But you came. You died. And you rose. So that we could have life and have life abundantly. God, thank you for what you have done. Father, I pray right now, Lord, as we come to the conclusion of our gathering, Lord, as we sing this song, Lord, I need you. Lord, for the one that may be sitting here today and saying, yep, I desperately need to sing this because I have this going on. Lord, help them to know that they can come to us and they can be prayed for, ministered to. As their shepherds, we want to help them. Or maybe the one today that says, you know what, I don't know Jesus. I need that. May they come. Or maybe for the ones that say, you know what, now's the time. I want this to be my family. Or would they come? All of it to say, Lord, may you increase, may we decrease, may you get the glory. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name.